0: if you would and um, so listen to what Paul says he's talking to Corinthians and this church had all kinds of problems there's all kinds of struggles and a lot of these people listen to this you know you ever had this happen that sometimes they had not been saved very long and all of a sudden they think that they know more than Paul knows who spent time with the resurrected Christ all right and then they think they got all this smarts okay and you ever see somebody get saved and maybe they read a book or something, Zach? You ever see that? All of a sudden, they know more than you do, right? And that happens at times. Sometimes they maybe do. But anyway, um, that's kind of what's happened here. And Paul's been explaining to them they're not as mature as they think they are, okay? And sometimes we're not either. And sometimes, even after you're mature, you can go back to acting like a baby if you're not careful, immature. And that's why he says, listen to this. So he said several things we're going to look at. But then he goes, and I, brethren. So he's talking to brothers and sisters here, right? We agreed? He's talking to people who are Christians. Okay? So he says, he says I could not speak to you as to spiritual. We're going to explain the different types of people. The spiritual, the natural, and the next word we're going to say, carnal. We're going to talk about what that means. He says, but I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babies, As to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able. For you're still carnal. For where there are. And and listen how he describes being carnal or being fleshly. Okay. Because a lot of times we just think of one thing. We think of sensual lust. And that's obviously included. But look where he starts. Are you with me? Say Amen. He says, you're still carnal for where there are envy. Man, a small town, it's easy to be envious of other people around we think are got something that we don't Getting a break, we don't get a job that we don't. That's where he starts, okay? I just want to remind us of that. Then he says, envy, strife, and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? He even gives an example. One says, I am of Paul. The other one says, I am of Apollos. That was another preacher. And he says, are you not carnal? Aren't you being fleshly? We're going to stop right there. But he goes on to say, it's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, bless this word we ask. And Lord, we just thank you. For the dedication, we thank you for the baptism, we pray your blessings upon Charlie, and Lord, we just pray, open our hearts, Lord, we need your help, we pray the Holy Spirit will open up our hearts and open up our minds to receive your message, to receive your truth, equip us, Lord, convict us, and prepare us, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. The Christian life is, um, the Christian life is not, boy, this is kind of. It's kind of hard to say. The Christian life, you need to know, it's not necessarily easier. It's not. It's better, but it's not easier. Because you want easy? The devil will give you the easy button every time. Because Jesus said there's really only two paths you can travel in this world. There's only two. I know people want to say all kinds of things, but Jesus said there's only two. There's the narrow path that leads to life, and there's the broad path, the easy road, but it leads to eternal destruction. And he said there's a lot of people going down that road. And part of the problem was there's a lot of people who thought they were on the narrow road to life, but they were actually on the other road to death. So there's really only two directions that you can go, all right? And the narrow road, he said, narrow's the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to life. It's, it's like you can't carry all your baggage in there, okay? It's a more difficult path. See, before, before you ask Christ into your heart, a lot of times the enemy, he wants to keep you satisfied, he wants to keep you happy, he wants to not get you to think about anything. C.S. Lewis did some amazing work. And uh, one of the books that he wrote, one of the, some of the stories he told was called The Screwtape Letters. And there's this young demon trying to be trained by an older one on how to tempt and how to bring people down. And in one part, one of my favorite stories in that he's trying to say, one thing is he said, and and screw was teaching his nephew Wormwood, he says, if they get to thinking about something serious and, and get like that, just just make them think of their lunch plans, right? Just try to get their minds off of it. And that's what we'll do. I mean, we're talking about the great truths from God, and we'll get all distracted thinking about what we're gonna have for lunch. You know, it amazing movie we'll talking about the great truths of God and we get distracted by everything it kind of reminds me of a story of this great orator this great teacher that was up teaching and he was teaching the people and nobody was listening he was talking about the great truths of of life and nobody was listening and so finally he stopped and he told a story about a man who was trying to haul some sticks over a mountain on his donkey and uh Actually, he was trying to carry them at first, and there was a guy behind him with a donkey. And so the guy told him, says, what you need to do is rent this donkey from me. You can load the sticks on it, and then you can get over the mountain, and it'll be fine. And so that's what they did. So he loads up the sticks on the donkey, and they're going over the mountain. And the guy who owns the donkey is following along, and it gets hot. It gets hot. The clouds are gone. It's middle of the day. The sun is overhead. There's not much shadow. And they stop, and they're just so hot. Well, the guy sits down just almost underneath that donkey because there was just a little bit of shadow there. Well, then the other guy comes up and says, Hey, move over. I'm going to sit down there and cool off for a second. He says, No, you can't. He goes, Well, it's my donkey. He said, Yeah, but I rented the donkey. He said, But when you rented the donkey, I didn't say nothing about the shadow of the donkey. And he said, but you didn't say it didn't include the shadow of the donkey. And so the two men began to argue long and loud about who actually owned the shadow of that donkey. And the great speaker turned and walked off the stage. And the people started chanting, come back, get back out here. And they just all like, come back, come back, you know, everybody. So he walks back out on the stage. And he says, what? And they said, who got the shadow of the donkey? And he says, Okay. I've been standing up here talking about the greatest truths in the universe and nobody was listening. And now you guys are almost in a complete uproar over who owns the shadow of a donkey. That didn't quite have the impact I thought it would, but. Because you're still like, I don't know. (laughs) There is no end to the story. You should see, you guys, you're all like, okay, good. Tell us. Who? Who got the shadow of the donkey? Uh, nobody did. That's in end of the story. Uh, but that's the way that we are. But the Christian life is not easier. Uh, it's better. A lot of times the devil just wants to keep us distracted. He wants us to just think about you know, easy things. Because once you start living for the Lord, once you turn your life over to the Lord, the enemy is going to begin to attack, right? He's going to begin to attack you. And we're going to see that as part of what plays in here, why some people want to revert to old ways instead of following the Lord. Because um, we've got two things against us really more than that but just let's just say basically in this world we've got this world is against us okay you've got an enemy satan and he's real he's alive but he has he has a lot of ends a lot of things he works through and this world we live in was not the whole world cursed by sin we live bible teaches in a sin cursed world this isn't heaven you can't make this into heaven This is a sin-cursed world. And we also live in a sin-cursed flesh because we find out once Adam and Eve sinned that the flesh was cursed. We have a sinful nature that Adam and Eve passed it down. Adam passed it all the way down to us that you don't have to teach that. It's something that we all have inside of us. We believe that, a sinful nature. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by birth, and we're sinners by choice eventually, right? We have that. You don't have to teach. I've been amazed to watch the little kids and my own grandkids. Is you don't have to teach them how to pinch. You don't have to teach them how to mine, mine. And, 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 and here's the thing. If those little guys were as strong as adults, they would probably kill people. You know what I'm saying? Over a toy or something. I mean, they can be, and I'm, I'm shocked. at Where did that come from? You don't have to teach them how to lie. They're in trouble, and they just, yeah, and it's like, wow. And so all of these psychologists that don't believe, they think we're just a blank slate shaped by our environment, they don't understand and believe that we have that sinful nature that's in us and that comes out. I mean, you know, all you got to do is look at the kids, look at the babies, and it proves it. We've all got that sinful nature. That's part of our flesh. Now, once you get saved and you're redeemed, you get a new nature. You were spiritually dead, that part of you. That knows God was spiritually dead. In fact, he says that you were dead in trespasses and sins. That's one of the things we're celebrating in baptism. is not only did Christ die for our sin, but he gave us resurrection life. That when you got saved, you came alive. He says, you who were dead, he made alive in Christ. And so we've been made alive. We've been resurrected on the inside. To be dead means to be separated from God. In the Bible, to be physically dead means you're separated from your physical body. To be spiritually dead means that you're separated from God. God told Adam and Eve that the day that they sinned, that they would surely die. Remember? And if you've read in Genesis chapter 3, you find out they did sin, and they didn't die physically that day, did they? But they did die spiritually that day. They were separated from God and their fellowship from God. Now, eventually they did die physically. So, death in the Bible doesn't ever mean an end. You need to know that. Death in the Bible means separation and to be eternally. So there's physical death, your soul, spirit separate from your body. There's spiritual death, means you're separated from God, you're lost in sin. And then the Bible talks about a second death. It talks about an eternal death, and that's where you're separated from God forever in a place we call hell, okay? Now, um, because we have that sinful nature, even though we get saved, we become a new creature in Christ. And the common thing people say is, since I'm a new creature, why, why I still struggle with some of the same old things? Anybody? Okay. It's because this new creature, this new me, new nature still lives in this old flesh that's cursed by sin. And so even though I still have a fleshly nature, I've now got a spiritual nature. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about how that this gives us victory over. You don't have to be controlled by the flesh. That there's a new, as we said one time, a new sheriff in town, right? That the Holy Spirit, you'll be led by the power of God. That you do not have to obey. You don't have to be a slave to the flesh. So this is the conflict that goes on. Paul talks about it. and that's how he's using the word carnal here. It's a word that literally means the flesh, but Paul uses it this way. He uses it to talk about how that we have that fleshly nature while we're here. And even though you're saved, that now we're dominated by the Holy Spirit, that we live a spiritual life. That's what he talks about about dying to self. That's what he talks about being crucified with Christ. It's that old me. It's that flesh me. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, because that's where the crybaby stuff comes from. Because you can see this baby up there on that picture is crying for his bottle. I want my milk. Now, it's perfectly fine for a little baby to do that, right? But now if you're 30 years old and you're still sucking a bottle, and you still, something is wrong. I mean, it's terribly wrong. I mean, that shows that there's, there's some kind of real problem. At some point you grow up. And that's Paul's point is like, You guys ought to be growing up, the writer of Hebrews addressed the same thing, you ought to be teaching others, but yet you're like needing to learn the very first things. He says, you know, you guys are still babies, you think you're so smart, but he said, you're like babies, I'm having to give you milk because you can't even stand real meat. And so, there's three classes of people you're going to find in this passage, are you ready? Three classes of people. The first you're going to find is the natural man, and we'll back up here in chapter two. Can you see chapter two? Look at chapter 2 where he says that, in fact, he's talking in verse 6. Look at verse 6. He says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. I like that. He says, now I'm speaking wisdom. You guys are thinking I'm not that wise, but I'm not speaking on man's wisdom. Some of you guys may be like philosophers and in the, in all this. You've studied all the philosophers, but, and, and you think that I'm not speaking wisdom, but I am speaking wisdom. In fact, he said in verse 2, in verse 1, he points out, I came to you not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. He says, I'm not coming to you in the way humans think is that great. And he said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he was in weakness and in fear and in trembling. Um, And so that's why he comes to verse 6 and he said, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Obviously, they're not mature, but it's not the wisdom of this age nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, this hidden wisdom. He said, I'm talking about something that was a mystery. I'm talking about something that was progressively revealed through Scripture, how that God had this plan, but it was covered. It was a mystery. That's what I'm telling you. It was a plan that God ordained, and God has done this thing, and they don't understand it. It was hidden. It was ordained before the ages. He says in verse 8, none of the rulers of this age knew, had they known, they would not have crucified the lord of glory now the rulers that he's talking about here aren't necessarily the kings but he's also talking about the religious rulers the religious leaders that they didn't understand the real truth and the real wisdom of god they were distracted and they were focused on other things okay if they had really understood they wouldn't have crucified him but they did and that's when he says verse 9 a verse that we use at funerals all the time see me have you heard this at a funeral i has not seen nor ear heard Nor is entered into the heart of man those things which God has prepared for those who love him. And we'll say that. And you know, there's some truth to that. That we haven't seen or heard or even can understand all that God has for us. That's true, but that's actually not I have and I've used it that way, that's actually not what this verse is teaching. He's actually quoting Isaiah, and he's talking about the people of that day weren't able to know, their, they, their eyes couldn't see, their ears couldn't hear, their, they couldn't understand the truth that God was trying to present to them. And the reason why I say that is the very next verse, look at it. Verse 10, because he says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Did you catch that? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, you can't understand. But now he has, past tense in the English and past tense in the Greek. He has revealed them. He has made those things available to us right here, right now, those who are saved. He says, through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Then he gives this illustration. Who really knows your, your, your heart? You, right? Who really knows the things about a person more than the spirit of a person? And so he takes that and relates it to God. So who really knows the things of God more than the Spirit of God? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth. The Spirit of Christ. God the Spirit. Are you with me? The third member of the Trinity. That's what he's talking about. He says, we, we have not received the spirit of the world, verse 12, but the spirit who is from God. It's the spirit of God. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. And when you're saved, we have something that Isaiah's day that most of the people didn't have. You actually have the presence of God, the presence of God living in you, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And so we have that. The Holy Spirit authored this word. We have the word of God and our minds illuminated. God's word has already been inspired. It's already been revealed. And what God wants to do is, through his spirit, illuminate our understanding so that we know the things of God. That he has for us. That's part of what he's trying to explain here. And so he says uh, that we've received uh, the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Verse 13, these things we also speak, not in words of man's wisdom. Paul said, this is what I'm teaching. He says, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things to spiritual. All right. Before you're saved, you're what? you got to get this. I'm doing a little teaching here. Come on, get with it here. Before you're saved, you're spiritually dead. All right? Once you're saved, you're spiritually alive. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, comes to live inside of us. You can't be saved without him. In fact, Romans 8 9, he says, whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ is not his. can't be saved without him. So now he says, these things we also speak not in words of man's wisdom, but he says it's through the Holy Spirit comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We're discerning spiritual things through the Holy Spirit. The natural man, now there's one of the types of people. The natural person, are you with me? Does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually appraised or spiritually discerned. So the natural man can't understand the spiritual things because the only way you're going to understand spiritual things is through the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the only one that knows the things of God. The Spirit of God is dwelling inside you. He bears witness with our spirit, he says in Romans 8. We can understand. But if you're spiritually dead, if you're not saved, you're just a natural person, and there's no way you're going to really understand spiritual things. Okay. But he who is spiritual judges. Now, here's a neat thing. Because that word translated judges in verse 15 is the exact same Greek word in the original as the word discerned. So literally, here's what he's saying. He who is spiritual discerns or appraises all things. You can. You can discern and judge and appraise all things. Why? Because you've got the word of God and the spirit of God within you. You can know God's truth and what God says about all these things. You can discern. Because he says, he says, who is spiritual discerns or judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged or discerned or appraised by no one. In other words, people who don't have the Holy Spirit, they're not going to get you. Do you understand that? They can't understand you because they're not spiritual. They're still fleshly or natural. That's what he means by that. And so then he says in verse 16, he quotes again from Isaiah chapter like 40. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And that was something that was said. People say, well, who has known? Who can know? You can't. And people they say, you can't know. You can't know. He says, "Who is known? Then he says, but we have the mind of Christ. Right here and right here. Who knows the mind or the heart or, or of anyone more than the spirit of someone? We have the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. God the Spirit living in us. We have that. So we can discern. We can know. We can mature. But they weren't doing it. Here's the problem. He called them brothers. Brothers and sisters. So there's three types of people. Then he starts talking about being carnal. Now, are we ready? There's, we've seen in this passage, a natural man. And that's just someone doing what comes naturally, right? Verse 14. The natural man can't even discern the things of the Spirit of God. He's just going along life, living life naturally in the the flesh. Then secondly, there's the spiritual person. This is someone who's been saved, and they have been indwelt by the Spirit of God. They're controlled by the Spirit of God, and they're walking in the Spirit. Now, this person isn't just doing life as it comes naturally. This person's living, are you watching this? Supernaturally. You got that? Are you with me? Come on, concentrate, everybody. Living supernaturally. But then in chapter 3, he mentions a third person. And he said, I try to talk to you as spiritual. You're supposed to be spiritual. You're brothers and sisters. But I couldn't talk to you as spiritual. I had to talk to you as fleshly. He didn't say natural. He said fleshly. Carnal. And we get that word in the English. It kind of comes from the old Latin. And so does some Spanish. And we always remember that is in Spanish. If you order uh, chili... With meat, it's chili, con, with con, carne, right? Carne, it means flesh, meat, right? Queso, that's cheese. I like meat and cheese, but I'm getting distracted. <laughs> but Anyway, so carnal means fleshly. And he's referring to even though you're saved, you're still being controlled by that old nature, by that fleshly nature. Okay, So there is the natural man doing what comes naturally. There's the spiritual person that's walking in the spirit, being controlled by the spirit. And he's living a, or she's living a supernatural life. But then there's the carnal person. And they're saved, but they're not spirit-filled. They're not victorious. And they're really not living supernaturally at all. And they're not even living naturally. And I'll tell you why. Because it is not natural for a Christian to live like they live. He's doing what comes unnatural. Not natural. For a Christian to live the way that they're living. So what's to be done about this? How do we deal with that? Well, that's what Paul's talking about. And he talks about different things that have come up because of this in in the next couple of chapters. And then in chapter six, he even mentions, like I said, he mentions envy, mentions strife. One of the big evidences of this is the fact that these people were being like babies. And they're dividing. Did you notice? One says, I am of Paul. I am of Paul. You know what the big key word right there is i heard one guy say describes it as that idol that we all worship sometimes called big eye I. I that was satan's original problem the little window that god gives us in isaiah 14 that he said i will exalt myself i will be like the most high i'll exalt my throne above the other angels i will i i five times he said i i will Here's what carnality is. A lot of times we think being fleshly or being carnal is like only one or two things. And it may include those things, like sensual lust or being worldly. But you really want to know what it is? It's big I. To be carnal literally means to be selfish. It's about me. And you know what? A lot of times we approach our relationship with Christ in a very fleshly way. It's still all about me. Now, it involves you, but it's not all about you. It's about him. Because that's why they had so many divisions. Why do we have division? Why do we have envy? Why do we have strife? Because I need to have things my way. You know, sometimes we start out that way, immature, like babies. And, you know, he said, like, babies need milk. He said, I've given you the milk, the easy to digest stuff, and you need to be growing and getting some. But he said, I'm still, having, I'm still stuck there because you guys are still fleshly. And one way I know that is you're stuck on yourselves. You're selfish and you're carnal. You have to have things your way. One way we know that is they're dividing up. You know, hey, I like Apollos. I like Paul. You know what? Here's the thing that I'm praying, that as we're helping people, we're here to make disciples. We're here to lead people to Jesus. Why does our church exist? To just have Sunday gatherings and have a good old time? No. Our church exists in order to lead lost people to Jesus and make disciples for Jesus Christ. Not disciples of us or anything else, but disciples of Jesus Christ who will grow to do the same. Okay. Okay. Now, sometimes we get stuck on ourselves. Now, in the beginning, we're immature, and some of it is about me. I want a home in heaven, I want blessed assurance, I want a mansion over the hilltop, right? But I hope that we grow to the point that that's just the icing on the cake. It is about Jesus living in me, it is about Jesus living through me, it is about Him getting all the glory. And a side benefit is, is that I get blessed, I get rewarded, I get to experience the new heavens and the new earth and all those things. But that's not the main thing, that's the side thing. Sometimes that's, you know, we're just so focused on ourselves, it's about what God can do for me. And you've got to have what God can do for you to begin with. Because even what you do for him comes from what he does through you. But it becomes focused on him. And you can tell that they're not mature because they're focused on themselves. And I hope that as we make disciples, as we help people grow, that they get to the point to where everything's not, you realize that it's about Christ. That if everything, and this is the way a lot of people are, if everything's not my way if i don't have the temperature in here if i don't have like the type of preaching if i don't have the type of music if i don't have everything the way i like it cuz we're not see cuz sometimes i struggle with that too i've had to grow through it there's sometimes i have trouble discerning between what's spiritual and what's sentimental i mean there are times i remember sitting in my granny's lap at church hearing her sing certain songs in a false set of voice I don't, I don't hear people doing that as much anymore. Is anybody like, oh, Grandma, she would sing like this. Yeah. Okay. No one knows what I'm talking about? Say, okay, good, good, good. You're just like, yeah, singing. And that was fine. But, you know, there were some of those songs that weren't very scriptural or spiritual. But they still make me feel special. And sometimes I have trouble discerning it's not the Holy Spirit, it's sentimental spirit. It's me feeling sentimental. And there's nothing wrong with being sentimental. I hope we create some memories for our next generation that they'll have some sentimentality attached to their spirituality. But if I'm not careful, I pay more attention to sentimental things than I pay to the Spirit of God. Okay, I start about, this is the way I like, this is the way it used to be for me. I'm getting to that. I'm struggling with some of that. You guys, I have to confess. But it's about how things were in my memory and how things are precious to me. And it's about things the way I think they're special. But you don't have the same experience that I do. And now we have people come from all kinds of backgrounds. We have people come from a very Christian home background. We have people that you were raised by pagans, some of you. Amen? You could say man. And you knew nothing of the things of God. And all of your experiences in worship and in church and in all that stuff have just happened recently. And, and so sometimes this is where a lot of this comes from. It sneaks in in ways, because we're, we're watching out for the big, bad, ugly things. But it sneaks in in ways that, that I'm sometimes not prepared for. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit jumps up and grabs me and says, You need to look at yourself, boy. This isn't me. This is you. And you're stuck on you. And I'm not being led by the Spirit. I say that I am, but I'm doing what I want in His name instead of Him doing what He wants through me. It's very tricky. That's why we got to keep growing. we got to keep maturing. So he talks about a lot of this stuff. And we get into chapter 6. And he finally mentions sexual immorality In verse 18, and then he says, one reason why this is a sin against this is sin against the church, man. Or no, not the church, it's sin against the temple. Because a lot of times, here's the thing where does God dwell? Well, in those days in the Old Testament times, his presence was in the tabernacle or the temple. And you would go there. Now we find out that God's Spirit dwells in all of those who are saved. So guess where the temple is? I mean, we may call this the house of God, and I understand we say that, but really this is a house of meeting. This is a house of prayer and worship. This is a house where we gather to be equipped and trained to do the work of the ministry. The real house of God is the physical bodies of all the believers. So that's why we need to be respectful at church and all that, but if we're like one person here and someone else out there, it doesn't work, y'all. I can remember being a kid in church. But I got in trouble. I, I, I couldn't do the two things you're supposed to do, sit still and be quiet, right? And I still think I hold the record for the most whippings at church. That's how I ended up in the ministry. They just beat the devil right out of me. But anyway, not true, not true. But the thing about it is, is there were times that I remember whew, making it through church. And as we were leaving, I would have the thought, I'm going to get home. I'm going to put my clothes on and go back to being me. And you know that was a thought a kid had. But I'm afraid some adults have that that we put on our churchiness and we come and we're like one person here and then we just go back to being ourselves. When the truth is, you take in the house of God with you wherever you go. Would you do that at church? The question is, would you do it anywhere? And that's what he's teaching. Another sermon. We'll pick it up again. Amen. Uh, But he's saying, do you not know, verse 19 of chapter 6, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. He is in you. Whom you have from God. You are not your own. Don't you know your body. So don't get this idea. Well, with my mind and my heart, I serve God. But with my body, I serve sin. No, no, no. Even your body. Hey, hey, hey. Even your flesh belongs to God. In fact, this body of flesh now is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Present your bodies even, he says, in another place as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God. Okay? All right. So he says, you are bought with a price. Verse 20. You were bought with a price. You think about that. Now, last week as we celebrated the Lord's table, we celebrated in a tangible, tasteable way way that price as he gave his body to be broken he gave his blood he died for our sins a price you were bought with a price you are not your own you belong to jesus you've trusted in what he did for your salvation he paid the price you don't belong to you you belong to him that's what he says you were bought with a price therefore glorify god in your body and your spirit Both of them belong to God. There was this teaching going on then that, you know, spirit you serve God, body you serve yourself. That's not true. So how in the world do I keep from being a baby? How do I keep from being carnal? How do I keep from being focused just on me and, and get myself into submission to the Spirit of God, to yield myself? So every day, even though I'm saved, listen, you still have a will. You have the ability to decide today, do I submit my will To the Spirit of God, to be led by the Spirit, guided by the Word of God. Or am I going to do my own thing? Am I going to be controlled by the flesh? Because if I'm not controlled by the Spirit, I'm controlled by my fleshly nature. Do I yield myself? I love what Paul says in Romans 6. He talks about yielding our members, yielding every bit of ourselves to Him. I yield myself, my will. So how do I do it? Well, what did you say? Don't you know? So he's talking to carnal people who are supposed to know better. Here's one thing. Don't you know how much Jesus paid for you? So we need to be aware of what he paid for us. We need to be aware of the price. We need to be reminded sometimes, like we were Sunday, we need to be reminded of how much it costs God to be able to love us. We need to remember that Jesus, as he came, and even as a boy growing up, and as he went forward, he knew he was going to the cross. He knew that cross was ahead of him. What would you do if you do something like that in your life? Holman Hunt, the great Christian artist, painted a picture of Jesus as a little boy. It's sitting in the Bible. He just painted this picture. Jesus as a little boy, and he's like had a long day in his dad's carpenter shop. And he's sitting down and the sun's setting in the west. And on the back wall, there's a shadow of a cross. And he and he, he painted that to illustrate. I wish I would have got a copy to throw up there so you could see it. That all of his life he lived in the shadow of that cross. It wasn't a surprise to Jesus. I mean, just the anticipation of that. What would that been like? I can remember being a kid and being in a car. A lot of bad things happened in the car. Of course, back in those days, you could actually lay up in the dash and everything else, right? But I can remember Dad saying, when we get home, huh? you're going to get a whipping. With every turn of the wheel, the agony on the inside. Because I just got to tell you, I know Dad was here last week, and he's an older, meeker Guy, he was buff back then, y'all. And dad never wasted a whipping. If he did it, it counted. Now, mom sometimes, sometimes papa, on oh, now, But my dad didn't waste them. And it was like torture. I can remember one time saying, dad, just stop the car now. Let's just get it over with now. Dad, just punish me now. And he just smiled and said, son, I am punishing you now. Right? right, and you could do the anticipation, but you need to know that Jesus had that the whole time he was here, because he knew the the cross loomed ahead of him, and then you think about, not only did he die on the cross, but you think about all the way that they mocked him, and they spit on him, you think about how they scourged him, and ripped the hide right off of his back, you think about how they put that crown of thorns, and hammered it in, and blood was flowing everywhere, and so I understand that he had to die for my sins, but why, why did they strip him naked, why did they put that purple robe that acted like a gauze and slowed down the bleeding so he could suffer more and more. Why did they mock him? Why did they hit him? Why did they loosen his teeth? Why did they pluck his beard out? Isaiah, speaking prophetically, said his his visage was so marred that he was unrecognizable. They spit on him. Now here's the creator. Why did they have to do that? Why did they have to spit on him? shame. And then I'm reminded it's because of me. That was like me. They just did it in my place and your place. Because he took all the shame. Can you imagine them not only beating Jesus, but stripping him naked in front of everybody? They did that. But it was my shame and your shame that was put upon him. But you know, as that people spit on him, the blood began to flow to cover it, didn't it? Then he went to the cross. And how the angels must have been lined up looking down from heaven in wonder and amazement at what was going on because they knew who he was. How the angels must have been saying, just say the word, Jesus, just say the word, Jesus, and we'll come and we'll kill them all. But he uttered not a word until he said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. And then he experienced the most terrible darkness of all. The physical sufferings were nothing compared to the spiritual sufferings because as he took our sins, that's what he recoiled, I, I believe, in the garden when he said, that there's any way, let this cup pass from me, when he sweated great drops of blood under such agony. The devil would have liked to kill him in the garden, I think. But he went to the cross. In those moments on the cross, all of a sudden, the sun had to hide itself. It was dark for three hours. And then Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't explain it. I can't theologically match it up, it's beyond me but somehow in those moments on the cross God the son and God the father was separated what is death separation separation, listen I want to tell you he not only took my sin and your sin he took our hell that separation he took my hell how can I live carnally and call myself a Christian when I understand and am aware of what he had to do purchase my salvation do you not know you're bought with a price and then as he's already minded us we need to be awakened to the spirit's presence in us he's the substance of our life it's through him we have life he's the strength of our service he's the one that gives us the strength we we're, we're not just doing this on our own we have god's presence inside of us and charlie got saved and she's been baptized today and i would say if somebody comes along she's is she and kids worship Uh, somebody comes along and they say little girl what are you going to do now when the devil comes knocking on your heart's door what are you going to do then and she can just say I'll just answer and say Jesus would you get that please right (laughs) because I've got Jesus would you just Jesus would you get that please but because we have he is the strength of our substance of our life he's the strength of our service he's the one that's going to guide us So, so how can I just be weak when I've got the power and the presence of God living in me my body as he says here is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's living in me. He wants to do these things through me. In fact, he tells us in Acts chapter 8, we receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon us and to be witnesses. And let me tell you, you are a witness. You know that? If you claim to be a Christian, you're a witness. You're either a good one or a bad one. And I hate to say it, and I know sometimes this accidentally happens, and people use excuses, and a lot of them aren't valid But there have been times, there have been people that I've been trying to invite to church through the 30 years or so nearly that they wouldn't come because of an ongoing, really selfish, fleshly conflict with someone else who was already here. Now, that wasn't a valid excuse on their part. But I want to tell you, sometimes the things we divide and fight with people over, is it that important? Is it worth their soul? Wouldn't Jesus say, sometimes you'd be better off just to suffer the loss rather than have to prove your point about everything. It's happened more times. And here's the thing, I don't want to be that guy. Power to be a witness. Am I a good witness? Am I a bad witness? I mean, we're going to make mistakes. Stuff like this is going to happen. The Spirit's presence in you. He's not only those things, he's the secret of your victory. John 1 John 4 4 says, This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. He's the source of our knowledge as he makes known to us and illuminates, illuminates our minds to the things of God. The source of our knowledge. We already said this, but remember when he said eye is not seen, ears not heard, it has entered to the heart of man the things God has prepared. The next verse, the very next verse, he tells us God has revealed them to us through his spirit. So we have, he's a source of our knowledge. You want to grow? You've also not only got those who have been called to teach and to equip, but you've got the Spirit of God to illuminate understanding. Do you pray that? I pray that all the time. Lord, as I'm in the Word, Lord, open my understanding. There may be some things that I don't want to see. That fleshly part of me doesn't want to see, but I need to see it. I need to understand it. Are you willing to do that? Because if you're not, you're not going to grow, and you're going to be a baby. And he is also the substance of of our faith, listen to what uh, the sustainer. Excuse me, of our faith, he's a sustainer. Listen to what he says here um, in First Peter four fourteen. He says, "If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you." That means to be reproached means somebody's giving you a bad time, somebody's persecuting you. We can't stand for anybody to speak. You know, we're all offended in our country because heathen people are acting like heathen. <sighs> I'm going to tell you, it's going to get worse. It's going to probably get worse. The Word of God kind of predicts that, doesn't it? He says, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. You're blessed. See, God didn't just want us happy. He wants us blessed, right? So even in the midst of being reproached, people giving you a bad time, people saying bad things about you, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You've got the spirit of God. Now, on their part, those people are blaspheming him. But on your part, you're receiving it, you're glorifying him, Right? So even though they're blaspheming, you got gives you a chance to glorify him. And that's one of the things that we get a chance to do. I want to tell you, it's been said that in the last 20 years, there have been more Christians, listen to me, that have given their lives for the cause of Christ than all the centuries put together. Now, I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought during those first few centuries, maybe. But Voice of the Martyrs tells us in the last 20 to 30 years, there have been more people die for their faith in Christ than there has through all the rest of recorded Of history on back to the beginning. Right now. In some of these other countries. They're meeting at risk of their life. Maybe someone said. Not me. But I'm just repeating. Someone said the problem with Christians in America now. Is that nobody wants to kill them anymore. Well that may change. So we stand up and we say. I love the Lord. And I just want to glorify him. I want to live for him. Listen. Listen. Don't say that what you say with your lips might not have to be sealed with your blood someday. I said the Christian life's not easier. It's better. It's all better. In the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the reproach, we have joy, we have blessing, we have peace. We have all of these things. We have a home in heaven waiting for us, but we have God's presence right now. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. We say, you know, I just love the Lord and I'll be willing to die for him. Really? And we can't set... 30, 45 minutes to a sermon, but we would die for him? We can't make time in our schedule to get into scriptures and prayer, but we would die for him? Really? It doesn't add up, does it? But when we have the Spirit inside of us and we realize these things, how can I just be carnal where's what we want to do that the holy spirit who is resident may become president right the holy spirit who is dormant needs to become dominant and the holy spirit who is present may be preeminent that we be filled with the spirit and the last thing is not only aware of his purchase awaken to his presence but we need to then in order to not be babies and not be carnal and fleshly we need to be available for the father's purpose that's the other thing that he said in that passage in chapter 6. He says, for you were bought the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Did you know that's the big purpose that God wants to do in and through your life is to glorify himself? To glorify himself. That's all through the scripture. That's the highest thing. In fact, when we stand before, even as a believer, if we stand before the judgment seat of Christ... The only things out of my life that are going to matter—it's not going to be how much money I made, it's not going to be how popular I was, it's not going to be all the earthly achievements. It's going to be what came through my life that glorified God. If it, if it glorified anything else, it does—it's gone. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It burns up in the fire. But the only thing that's gold, silver, and precious stones are those things that glorify God. What in my life is going to be left over that glorifies Him? How do I glorify God? In John chapter 15 Jesus says Herein is my Father glorified That you bear much fruit How do we bear fruit? By abiding in Him He's the vine with the branch Remember? So as I abide in Christ in faith And I am aware of how much He paid for me I'm awakened to His presence in me And I make myself available for His purpose through me Then I will glorify Him If I say, Lord, I want to be able to preach really good so people will like me, Holy Spirit says, I ain't interested. If I say, I want to learn things so I can really lay the knowledge out there, he says, not interested. But if I say, I want to be used by you so that either by what people think is foolishness or wisdom or whatever, if by my life, by my death, if being healed or if whether going through a, a, a tough time, whatever it is, Lord, no matter what it is, I want to glorify you. He says, I'm ready. That's what I'm in the business for. That's why I'm here. And he will give you that supernatural power. So I don't know about you, but I want to be spiritual and not carnal. And I want to be aware I want to be awake, and I want to be available. God help us.